0: Do you ever wonder if, in the midst of all that's going on in our world, God not only has the ability to concern himself with your specific life, but that he actually wants to? Chris Dew is with us today on the podcast, and he will walk us through Genesis 24, where we will get a glimpse into how personal our God actually is. Let's take a listen. What is
1: up, Vineyard family? It's Chris here. I'm so excited to be with you again. Um, as I preach this message, I would love it if you would lean in and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Uh, there's a lot of messages, and, and honestly, every message, that should be our posture. But especially this one, I believe that the God of the universe wants to speak to you individually on how you can choose kingdom over comfort. Let's pray together, and then we'll hop into uh, the Scripture Jesus, we love you. I pray right now that you would speak to us, uh, that you would help us to understand how to choose kingdom over comfort. Would you call people as they listen to this, God? Would you draw people closer to yourself and on your uh, plan of redemption and your kingdom mission, God? We want to follow you. I pray that you'd speak now in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All through history, uh, there has been times and spaces where the Lord has moved in power. Uh, you know, I, I think about uh, the history of our country and uh, the, uh, the Great Awakenings and also uh, the Hebrides uh, revival as well and all these other times and spaces where the Lord has just advanced His kingdom purposes in powerful uh, ways. And as, as I, uh, you know, just kind of look around at our world right now and all the brokenness and all the pain, I'm asking the question, how does that happen? I want to see that happen again in the valley and all over the world. How, how does that happen though? How does the plan of redemption from God move forward? And uh, the passage that we're going to look at here today is chapter 24 in the book of Genesis. It's the uh, the longest chapter in all of Genesis. It is t- 67 verses. I mean, therefore, I am not gonna you know, put you through me reading this thing because that would be about 12 minutes, and I'd have to say amen and be through with the whole message. Uh, but I'm gonna give you an overview of the entire message uh, to give you two points and a question at the end, and then we'll be done. So chapter 24, to give kind of an overview of where we've already been in this sermon series, that we've seen that there is a God who creates, who has always existed, and he is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at once, and he created the entire world. He created peacocks and coffee, praise the Lord, and filet mignons and human beings and love, all of this is created by a God. And he made Adam and Eve and he put them in a garden. And things were good. Uh, they had a perfect uh, a relationship with him, a perfect relationship with one another, and things were going very well. They had purpose and they had authority and they had a dominion over all of creation Yet, then we get to chapter 3, and the enemy enters into the story, and he uh, deceives Adam and Eve. And they turn away from God and say, God, I don't want you. I just want your stuff. I think I'm smarter than you. I'm going to try to live my own way. I know you said not to do this, yet I'm going to believe the lies of the enemy instead. And sin entered into the world, and there was massive consequences for this they were separated from god had conflict with one another and all the way through genesis we see this evil spreading all through creation yet even as evil spreads even as sin spreads all over the world we also see uh, that the same creator god Is actively working in order to bring about redemption in the lives of people and all over planet Earth. And how he does that is he chooses a man, Abram, and he says, Hey, Abram, I'm gonna choose you and your family, and you are gonna be a blessing to the entire world. I'm gonna bless you in order that you can be a blessing. And he's like, That's great, God, but I don't have any kids. And through a crazy, crazy act of God that he eventually has a son, um, Isaac. And uh, the passage that we're going to pick up on is when t- t- Sarah has just passed away, Abraham's wife, and uh, that Abraham is very old and he's about uh, to pass away as well. But He understands that Isaac hasn't married yet. So he's like, okay, man, I know how this thing plays out. I got to make sure that Isaac finds a wife from the homeland that we come from rather than from the area we're in right now that has a lot of pagan worship and would probably lead his heart astray. So he calls his servant to him, Eliezer, who's the manager of all of Abraham's house. And he says, hey, I want you to go all the way to my home country 550 miles away. And I want you to find a wife for Isaac. And he does. He heads out. He's got all these camels with him and all these presents. And he goes and he asks the Lord as he gets closer. Hey God, please will you help me to not mess this up? Help me to choose the right person you are um, that you have for Isaac. And he goes and he prays these prayers, ultimately saying, God, make it clear. And in comes a Rebecca, who's very attractive, who's of the proper age, who's from the line that Abraham um, hoped for. And uh, the Eliezer comes up, uh, explains the whole story of, hey, I think you're the one that needs to marry Isaac. And, and uh, I'd love for you to come with me. And they meet her family and everyone agrees and that she leaves everything she's ever known in order uh, to go and marry Isaac. In order to play a role in God's plan of redemption, Rebecca leaves everything she's ever known and rides 550 miles on the back of a camel (laughs) to meet Isaac. Now that's love right there. And at first glance, this passage and this story is like, okay, this is a love story. Sweet. I'm going to get to preach about love. It isn't as sketchy as other things in the, um, uh, that I've preached on in Genesis, right? So this is good. But as I prayed through it and as I read it over and over again and I read some commentaries that I think this is more than just a beautiful love story right in the book. Of Genesis. It's also a glimpse of how God works in redemptive history. So here's our question that we're going to try to answer here in this message. How does God's plan of redemption move forward? In all the brokenness we see in our world today, how does God's plan of redemption break in and move forward? And here's our main point, that he is in control and we play a part. That our God is in control and we play a part. Again, two points in a question. Here's point number one. God is sovereignly orchestrating his plan of redemption. He is sovereignly orchestrating his plan of redemption. I am slightly a, a, you know, perfectionist. Um, I'm a one on the anagram who do that kind sort of thing. Like everything is right or wrong. It's black and white. Like that's just how I operate. That's how I think. I, um, yeah, I'm a little bit, um, of a perfectionist. Uh, But when I was a kid, I was asked uh, to go to work with my dad a few times, and I I loved these types of days, right? Because I got to leave school, and I'd just hang out with dad all day. I'd get all dressed up, and I'd go to work with dad, and he'd ask me to help with some things, and I would sloppily kind of try to help. If I was organizing papers, they'd be all jumbled, and, and it wouldn't be in a straight line and these types of things. But... He wasn't angry that, uh, that I was there messing things up. He was happy to have me with him. And I was just happy to be there. And yes, he was going to have to go back and clean up all of my work that I had done, right? Because it was sloppy. Yet oftentimes I think in the kingdom of God, as I ask and, and, uh, you know, try to be a part of what God is doing on planet earth, I think it's got to be perfect so often. And if it's not perfect, then he's not going to accept it. And like, I've got to make sure everything I preach, everything I say is exactly perfect. And I think oftentimes that we can rest a lot more because we know that God is in control. He's just happy to have us with him as he is doing his work. And all through this account, we see the sovereignty of God. And all that means is that he is orchestrating everything. He's in control of all the events of redemptive history. He is um, organizing and orchestrating all of his redemptive plan. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere at once. He does not change. This is the God of the universe. And it's clearly on display when Eliezer comes up and is asking God, hey God, this is what I need you to show me, right? I need you to show me who this person is who's gonna marry Isaac. And I would love for her to come up and offer me a little bit of drink and offer my camels some water as well. And here's the thing. He hasn't even finished praying yet. And here comes Rebecca. Which it's clear that it isn't really his prayer that made her show up. It's the sovereignty of God. That he is actually orchestrating all the events of history, all the events of this account and our lives in order to advance his kingdom. And I love the scripture says the man just kind of looked in silence, in order to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And then when he realized, yes, yes, yes this, this, this is from the Lord, he worships. And then he says this, as for me, the Lord has led me. I don't want you to miss this. If there is a God who is orchestrating all the events of history in order to bring about his blessing to the world. He had promised Abraham He was going to have tons of kids he was going to be the father of many nations and that he was going to be a blessing to the nations and this is a part of that promise a part of that covenant this is true all through genesis and all through the entire bible god is orchestrating all the events of redemption his plan of redemption is unfolding how he wants it to unfold and therefore we can rest in the fact that he's in control. Even when things look really bad, even when we're like, man, the world's gonna end, we know it's gonna end, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can trust that he is orchestrating the events of redemptive history. There's a, a phrase that's used, actually a word, a Hebrew word, that's used four times in this passage. In verse 12, 14, 27, and 49. It's this word, Hesed. Hesed. H E S E D. And ultimately, what this word means is steadfast love, is how it's translated in the ESV version. It ultimately means that God is faithful and loyal to his covenant, he will not waver. And in chapter 24, that we don't have any words from God, any miracles, any prophetic utterances, yet it's clear that God is sovereignly working out of loyal love. He is working out of hesed. He is orchestrating the events of human history. And He has you here hearing this message for such a time as this. He is in control. You and I can rest as we look out at this world, understanding that he is sovereignly orchestrating his plan of redemption. And that's really good news. God is in control and yet we play a part. Here's point number two, that humans have a role in God's plan of redemption. Humans have a role in God's plan of redemption. Um, a lot of you guys have heard my story before about how I was a heroin addict, and on Christmas Eve of 2010, I'm at a rehab center, and uh, these ushers from a church come and ask all of us if uh, that we wanna go to church. And um, I was like, okay, I hopped in the car, went to church, and that night I heard about Jesus, I heard about the gospel, and uh, my life was radically transformed. I've been clean for almost 12 years now, which is wild. And um, it's clear that, uh, that as I look back, uh, that that was an act of God. He had planned all that, he knew that I was gonna be there, and he came, he orchestrated all of that. I have no doubt that that was the God of the universe orchestrating that in order to bring about redemption in my life, yet here's the other thing, is that the usher who came and picked me up on Christmas Eve, like that he could have been home with his kids, like hanging out in front of the fireplace, uh, you know, eating cookies and drinking milk, Except instead, he heard from God, I need to go to this rehab center and pick up these young men. And he picked me up. And man, he played a part in my story. He's a good friend of mine still. He's on, uh, he's one of our ministry partners, uh, that, uh, he helps us in prayer and financially. And, it, and, it, and he played a part in that story. Yes, it was the sovereignty of God. Yes, it was God orchestrating all the redemptive, uh, plan of human history. Yet it's also that Warren, uh the guy's name played a part in that. And this is how it works that God is in control, yet you and I play a part in God's plan of redemption. Here in this scripture that we see that Abraham played a part. He had these promises from God and he was like, "Okay, man, that if this is going to unfold, I got to find a wife for Isaac." And it has to be this type of person. I know if he marries a Canaanite woman, it'll probably draw him away from the Lord. So he cared about the next generation. He cared about the promises that God had made to him. He had has said as well to his to the Lord and to the promises he had gotten. Abraham played a part. But also Eliezer played a part in this whole thing. Here's the crazy thing about Eliezer is that prior to Isaac being born, he was going to be the heir of the entire estate. He was going to be the guy who inherited all the blessings that God had blessed Abraham with. He was going to be the one that had all the money, all the influence, yet Isaac was born. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Eliezer, I'm like, man, I ain't going to find Isaac a wife. Like, I'm supposed to be the guy. I'm Like, this woman should be my wife. Yet he's humble enough. That he didn't care what role he played in God's plan of redemption. He just wanted to serve the Lord and serve Abraham. He didn't care if he was heir or not. He had loyal love. He had, he said, he chose kingdom over ego in the plan of redemption. He was a faithful messenger. He did exactly what Abraham had said. And he played a part in God's plan of redemption. Rebecca also played a part. I don't know about you ladies, but if um, homie comes up and says, hey, listen, I got a friend who's 550 miles away. You got to hop on this camel and we're going to go find him and you got to marry him. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be like, I think you probably be skeptical. It's like he's probably catfishing or something. Uh, But he had a lot of gold and money, so maybe, I don't know, maybe you do <laughs> go with it. I don't know, but she trusted the Lord. She heard the testimony of Eliezer and said, hey, I don't know if this is true, but I, I have faith in God and therefore I'm going to go with him. She played a part. She left everything she knew in order to play a part in God's plan of uh, a redemption. Also, her family played a part. Like, I don't know about you, but if a bunch of guys come up and say, hey, listen, um, I got to take Evelyn uh, to marry this dude a long ways away. And like, I'll be honest, I'm going to be like, no, like I got to meet the guy. Like I got to make sure I have a few conversations with him before this. I ain't letting you take my daughter away, but they trusted the Lord and they should And we're going to have hospitality for this guy. And then we're going to send him out and trust that this is from the Lord. How hard is it to let your child leave in order to do the will of God? It, it's, I can't imagine. I can't imagine how that would be, but they played a part in God's plan of a redemption. And here's the beautiful thing is that you play a part as well. This plan of redemption is not just in the past. It isn't just things we read about and we're like, okay, that was really cool for them, Isaac and Rebecca and Eliezer and these people. That's really cool. But God's plan of redemption is unfolding right now. The Holy Spirit has come and he has empowered his church in order to advance the kingdom of God. You have a role to play in God's plan of redemption. God is in control and we play a part. It has to be both, right? If it's only that he's in control, then I think I'd be lazy. If it's like I don't play a part, it's just him doing his work, I don't have to do anything, then I'd probably just be hanging out watching sports all day and and he can do his thing. Yet it also can't be the other way. If it's only us and he doesn't really play a part anymore, he's in the sky somewhere and he's not empowering or orchestrating things, then we're going to burn out. If it's all up to us, One, it's not going to go very well. And two, we're going to get burnout. It has to be both. God is in control. Yes, he is orchestrating all the events and we play a part. So here's my question for us. Are you willing to choose kingdom over comfort? Are you willing to choose kingdom over comfort. Picture real quick and put yourself in Rebecca's situation, in her shoes. Picture for a minute this beautiful piece of land in her hometown that she's grown up in, has uh, fields that she's played in, excellent family where they're really close and tight-knit they're extremely wealthy. They have a beautiful house. The sun's going down. Lots of great animals. All of her friends and family, friends, and everything that she's ever known is in this place. How hard would it be to leave this for the unknown? How hard would it be to leave everything you've ever known? And I know it's quick in this, right? That we can just glance over that, of of course she did, because it's Isaac, and it's this huge thing. But how hard would that have been for her? All this beauty, all these rich relationships. And then comes this call, leave it all. Come, follow me. And here's what I have seen in scripture and in redemptive history, and I believe in my gut is true for this cultural moment right now is that His kingdom, the kingdom of God, will not advance only from comfort and convenience, yet through sacrifice, obedience, and perseverance. How the kingdom of God advances is not through comfort and convenience, is through sacrifice, obedience, and perseverance. There's a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14. And uh, he's ultimately explains this story, explains this parable about a man uh, that gives this huge party with tons of great food and it's, it's all ready, it's prepared. And uh, they t- start inviting people that had planned on coming, that said they were going to come. And you know they go out and uh, uh, they invite the first person. And he says, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And then it continues. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And then lastly, it says, another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He's explaining that oftentimes that people give excuses why they can't truly follow Jesus. I have lots of possessions. I, I, I can't really give that up. I have this work I'm doing that's really important. You understand, right? I have this wife that I just married. Therefore, I can't really follow you, Jesus. I I have this family and all these things. Yet he closes this passage with this in verse 33 of Luke 14. He says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is a hard word from Jesus. But he's ultimately saying that we have to love everything less than Jesus, including father, mother, children, wife, brothers, sisters, land, and even our own lives. We have to love everything less than Christ and we have to be willing to hand everything we love over to Him. As our Lord and our Master, if He tells us, "Hey, I'm calling you to to leave that stuff," we've got to be willing to leave lands and 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 friends and and parents, um, exactly like Rebecca had to. Uh, but this isn't that uh, that everyone's called to move away. All right, this message is not all right. Everyone sell everything and go to Asia, and like Iran, and we're just going to preach the gospel, but maybe. It isn't a call for everyone to move away, yet it means embracing kingdom at the expense of our own comfort. In our culture, comfort is king, yet Jesus is the real king, and therefore we must be willing to lay down our comforts for the king and the kingdom. Our culture is comfort-obsessed. It's all about you know being really comfortable as we sleep, really comfortable at work. Our chairs have to be really comfortable, financially comfortable, relationally comfortable, having lots of possessions. We are obsessed with comfort. And oftentimes, this bleeds into Christianity in the sense that we don't think that he'll ever ask us to get uncomfortable, or to leave any of the comforts, or therefore it's not from the Lord. But can I speak this to you? All through redemptive history, all through the Bible, Jesus calls people to get uncomfortable. He calls people to choose kingdom over comfort, leave things that they love and they have a passion for in order to advance his kingdom and to play a role in the plan of God redeeming the entire world. We've got a little image that I'm gonna throw on the screen. Uh, That's from a pastor named John Tyson. It's a guy that I lean into quite a bit. He pastors in uh, Hell's Kitchen in NYC. And it ultimately explains here of the Christian life or uh, the journey. And all the way on the left-hand side, it's comfort. And you know, this is where lots of Christians love to live. It's comfortable Christianity. It's it's uh, that I'm just kind of going through the motions. It's cultural Christianity. I don't really t- sacrifice a lot. But as we keep following Jesus, uh, there's this place of caution. There's friends and family members that start to caution us. Like, hey, man, you're like every week you're going to church. Like, I, I, I just want to caution you. Like, you got to go to the game sometimes. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, I, I just want to caution you. As we keep following Jesus, though, uh, that we'll have friends and family that are kind of concerned about us. It's like, man, I, I'm, I'm kind of concerned that you're like actually reading the Bible that much. You're taking Jesus' words like literally, like you're actually changing things in your life. I'm kind of concerned about you. And then eventually, if we keep following Jesus, that, uh, you know, there's this place of criticism that happens. People are like, man, I, I, I just can't believe you're hanging out with her. I can't believe you're hanging out with him. I can't believe you're going to that part of town or in that prison or in that, re- I can't believe you're doing this. Yet, as we look at the life of Jesus, he spent most of his time on the other side of criticism at this place that John Tyson calls the redemptive edge. And it's the place where spiritual light meets spiritual darkness. It's a place where most people won't go. It's a place where you're pouring out your life in the places where there's spiritual darkness. And I'll encourage you with this, that if if your faith is kind of boring to you, it's probably because you aren't anywhere near the redemptive edge. I know personally in my life, when I'm playing it safe and I'm comfortable... My faith kind of gets boring. It's like I'm reading all the things, I'm listening to all the things, I'm praying, I'm doing things, but I'm hardly ever around spiritual darkness. And I just want to encourage you, if that's you, man, maybe God's calling you in a little bit deeper. Or maybe God's calling you to go into the brokenness of the world, into the pain, in order to live on the redemptive edge. Are you willing to choose kingdom over comfort? And how this looks for all of us is going to be different. Maybe that means that that you need to start sharing your faith with your neighbor or your coworker. Or maybe it means uh, you're starting to volunteer, to get up early and to help set up church or or. Uh, to actually attend church in person, right? If you've been watching online, it's like, man, it's uncomfortable to go. I, I'd rather just choose comfort. Uh, maybe he's calling you to come in person or to give. Uh, maybe that's it. Like maybe he's pressing on your heart right now. Like you have tons of extra money right now and that you are called, uh, to give that into kingdom work. Uh, maybe it's serving at Hohog, the homeless ministry or, uh, to, to lose a little bit of sleep in order to have some more spiritual disciplines in your life, or to go to rehab if you're struggling with addiction, or to give up alcohol, or a or hundred other things, or maybe it really means that you're called to move away. You know, what is your 550-mile journey on the back of a camel that God's calling you to? Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it's the unknown. Yet, I don't know about you, but I want to be right in the middle of God's will. I want to be right on that redemptive edge. I don't want to play it safe. I don't want to get to the end of my life and know, man, I kind of, I don't know, I was kind of in comfort and maybe a little bit of caution, but I I played it safe. I want to get to the end of my life and know, man, I lived on the verge, right? I lived right on that redemptive edge for my entire life. What is God speaking to you listen to his voice. And I love here in this passage where they ask Rebecca, will you go with this man? He, and she responded, I will go. And here's the cool thing about this too. I don't have this in my notes, but I feel impressed uh, to speak it right now, is that uh, there was urgency in this matter. That it wasn't, hey, let's wait around a little while and maybe 10 days and and just kind of hang out and and pray about. No, no, no. It was, hey, you got to come now. And her response was, I will go. I will go. Are you willing to choose kingdom over comfort? How does God's plan of redemption move forward? Well, he's in control and we play a part. He is sovereignly orchestrating his plan of redemption. Humans have a role to play in God's plan of redemption. And the question, are you willing to choose kingdom over comfort? And clearly the ultimate example of this is Jesus. He had all the comforts in heaven, yet out of love and out of obedience, he came to earth He lived a perfect life in our place. He was crucified. He experienced lots of pain, lots of suffering and loneliness and and, uh, separation from everything He loved and knew. And He was crucified on a cross. He was put in the tomb. But on the third day, He rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and Satan and everything. He hung out for 40 days. He ascended into heaven. He left His Holy Spirit. And now we, the church, are advancing his kingdom on earth. And as Rebecca is leaving, her whole family blesses her. And this is what they say. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. I don't want you to miss this. Her family is prophesying right now, her role in the plan of redemption. And her role is gonna be to have some kids, and then eventually they have kids, and eventually Jesus comes from her lineage, her offspring. Her role in redemptive history, her role in God's plan of of a redemption is not immediate. It took thousands of years and then Jesus came From it. Our job is not the fruit. Our job is just to say yes and do what God tells us to do. Jesus is the ultimate example of choosing kingdom over comfort. And it's our job to follow his example. So, as we go into invitation time, man, what's God saying to you? He's a God who is alive and who really speaks, and I would just encourage you to listen to him. Is he prompting you with, hey, I'm calling you to do this, I'm calling you to move here, I'm calling you to do this. What's he speaking to you right now? Listen to him and don't harden your heart and act in obedience. God is in control and we play a part. And if you're here and that you aren't yet a believer in Jesus, that you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to pray to receive Christ. Turn from your sin. Leave everything you know in your old life and start to follow Jesus. He paid for your sin on the cross. All you got to do is receive it. And he resurrected from the, the grave in order to give you brand new life. Let's go advance God's kingdom on earth. Let's play our role in his plan of a redemption. Let's operate and choose kingdom over comfort.
0: I love you, Vineyard. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God. And we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that, but don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.